0: are listening to the Bondzilla podcast the bonzilla podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest running franchises james bond and godzilla this week we enter the world of shoe phones and running gags as we take a look at another 60 spy tv series turned into a movie it's 2008's get smart Fund. Hey there, folks. It's time once again for everybody's favorite Bonzilla podcast. I'm Nick.
1: Yeah, I'm Will. And, uh, some some would say, would you agree with this, that this may be like the most listened to, number one podcast in the world. Would that be correct? Uh,
0: the number one podcast in the world that's called Bonzilla, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. If it's not the most number one listened podcast... Would you believe maybe the second most listen podcast? Yeah. Would you? Okay. Cause if if you po- didn't it's,
0: it's possible. Would I mean, you po- like how I would have to look at like what like other podcasts are Would on, you be- out would there. you
1: believe a podcast just listened by cool dude?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> it's it's like it's a joke. I know to get I, a, I yeah, was trying yeah, to think it You're, of ca- good- you're catching I, on to it. No, I
0: was I was uh <laughs> <laughs> i got it it I, took you a minute it, it, it <laughs> took me a little bit to be i just because it's also i mean that's not too different from some of the regular nonsense you say that's true that's i mean, true. It, it, it's which we, is
1: why i'm looking forward to talking hashing yeah. this episode out this is, uh, this is gonna be a fun one
0: i do want to say first um thanks to all of you that have reached out after our update yeah um i really really do appreciate that you at least some of you are willing not
1: all of you <laughs> well
0: i'm sure yeah that's of you have said that you are willing to listen to whatever project we do next
1: yes that that was i i will admit um as much like crap as i give people that that was actually the most uh um uh the most interesting thing i heard interesting sounds like kind of dismissive but it, it, it actually it was very encouraging to hear that like that our voices would be welcome elsewhere uh even even after this yeah. uh and um and it's funny i even saw somebody had did point out that you know that uh you know they're sad to see you know this iteration come to an end and like i said i mean you know there's plenty of pod not to say that either of these subjects aren't worthy of longer running podcasts it's just you know our mission statement has kind of been met and um yeah we're very happy uh with the work and and hopefully and 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 for the foreseeable future, uh, I mean, there, there, there is no plan to not have this whole catalog continuously available, It'll so and, uh, so and we, I think you know, people reached out who are just binging through the episodes now, yeah, just, just starting, and um, yeah. yeah, and and that's always fun. I think we had mentioned on this show before that I, I'm a big fan of going back and either catching up on a catalog or even re listening. I'm doing this thing recently and th- it, this is kind of messed up and in the real world but I listen to like one or two different like news podcasts and y- you know what it would make this is I have th- this is a recommendation for everybody um because as we've talked about um you know current times are more like like watching like a kind of like a boring bad movie like it's not good but, like, you know, when you went into it, like, it was, you thought it was really going to be bad. And now it just, you know, life is just kind of, like, a a, a stagnant, very long, terrible, but livable movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, but if you want to kind of, like, entertain yourself a little bit more, I suggest going back and listening to the podcast of the last, like, five months or so. Because it's kind of, like... A really bad not even a bad movie it's just kind of like you're, you're you're kind of like rewatching a bad movie like i'm listening to all these old podcasts and it's funny like back in march it's just like all right well like you know when you know we're all back up and running in two weeks yeah. it's gonna be great and it's like watching a bad movie you're like oh you don't know you not don't like, know
0: what's happening <laughs> i mean one of, the, one of the one of the greatest still like one of the greatest things was like us outlining like here are our plans for no time to die week right yeah you know it's like gonna be knives out and we're gonna do the the preview of the movie and then we'll hopefully have our review by saturday and then well it 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 really is immediately like
1: it really is like re like experiencing like like a fine like an like an like a series of events yeah. like a very specific series of events because it's like we're tracking a very specific time in history right now so it is funny like you can you're right you can even do it with this podcast that you know we like we've we've chronicled like back when like yeah you know we'll you know we'll be back to the movies in October and yeah. then, you know, we'll see, you know, you know and we'll, and we'll see the movies then. Now it's like, you know what? When movies happen, they happen. They happen.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I even, like, because I was today... Like, or, or, sorry,
1: going back real quick, I already interrupt, but you're right, with No Time to Die, like we almost kind of looked at that as, like, a like a PR move. Yeah. Like, it was more like, oh, well, you know, you don't want to have, like, the movie about, like, a giant virus coming out when a virus is going on. Meanwhile, like, then two weeks later, it's like, you don't get any movies. Right. <laughs> well, it was, I
0: think we didn't want to admit that it was just because, <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, people getting sick because we just didn't want to believe. I, I mean, in, there was a sense. level of
1: that, but I I have to speak for myself in saying I thought it was more so for... Like somewhat safety, but also tastelessness. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was going to be a situation in which, like, a month later, it was going to be like, don't even wait for the movie theaters.
0: Right, and it's it it's, it is kind of funny to go back to that first like discussion. But I was even listening to, I was re-listening to the uh, Our Man from Uncle episode for some context mm-hmm. for today's show, and even the beginning of that one, we're just blissfully talking about like, oh, the No Time to Die Super Bowl commercial, and <laughs> and. Our rea- and it's just, like, that one is, like, yes, like, starting in March when all this is, like, going down is, right. like, interesting. But even, like, going back to, like, our first episodes of the year and just, like, just how blissful our, lives, our we, lives were. Isn't that crazy that
1: we did have a Super Bowl this we, year? When you think of it, like... We, like
0: we, we hit the Super Bowl and the Oscars, and, the, and then <laughs> everything went to shit right after Now, that. now it's, like,
1: you know, I mean, I've, obviously I'm speaking with a little bit hyperbole, but it's, like, you know, will there ever be a Super Bowl or Oscars again? Like, you know, I'm not... In that stage mentally, but it is kind of funny. Like those huge events, those milestone yeah. events, like you wouldn't even think about having those right, right. now. Well, we're which we're is,
0: getting like the Zoom Emmys this week.
1: Oh, uh, or, really? Or uh, like one of these. Next I'm sorry. Weeks. I'm on team th- the whole doing things on the Zoom. I, I'm no. It's it's a big no for me. I I get it. Like you have to do it. it it's just for me. I haven't quite normalized it. In my, like I know everybody loved DC Fandom. And and frankly, I think that that it was a huge successful event. Yeah, I approve of, and I and I think it's better than nothing. But you know, having like you know the entire cast of Suicide Squad awkwardly talk over each other on a Zoom chat mm-hmm. is um is still not something I'm I get, ready I to think, normalize. I think
0: it is one of those things where right at the beginning of all this, it was kind of like you know it was kind of like a neat novelty. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you're right because i was thinking about like the
1: parks and rec
0: right i was about to say like Like, 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 oh oh, that's cute oh oh, it's cool parks and rec (laughs) is doing like a like a zoom type reunion thing that's like really neat and now again it just seems like because it's like the future is like this right it just seems like it it, it is kind
1: of just like i always go back to it's just kind of like a blatant reminder of the the prison that you're stuck in yes (laughs) but it's also like everybody's talking over each other like it's it's like i i'm not i'm not a huge fan oh though speaking of which we did in our ever updating chronicles of of this topic which we won't talk about much we were asked uh i I always feel obligated to answer this when we're asked about the updating uh movie theater uh experience because um you know, there's uh, movies are, I guess, opening up, um, right. y- you know, a- a- again. We had the, um, you know, New Mutants and Tenet and all that y- yeah. stuff. Um, so, you know, like, so I-, I guess Tenet's coming out soon yeah, or whatever. Uh, so I guess the question was, like, if Tenet does well, like, do we think that, um, you know, No Time to Die, like, what does that do for the chances of those movies, like, sticking I, their their date?
0: My answer to this is it's just it's really going to depend on the if if theaters to stay open Mm -hmm. it's going to depend on the individual movie themselves right because i think it's like we see it with like you know like disney's gonna put out like new mutants into theaters because they just want to get the movie out there and probably contract stuff but like you know they're comfortable with putting mulan for a price for three months on disney plus right where they could have saved that if they wanted to for like this same tenant era and i really do think it's just Every individual company is going to have to make the choice on what's the best way for them to to make the money off the movie, right? And that is going to be like the next step. It's like if the theaters are going to stay open, then the next step in terms of these movies coming out is like, does Disney just want to say, okay, we are going to put Black Widow out in theaters in November, or are they going to do a similar thing, or are they going to move it, or whatever? You know, I think like you know, for example, The King's Man. Mm-hmm. Got moved to February next year. Yeah, and like that's a movie where it's like you know maybe in in a sense there's no reason for it not to move or no reason for it not to come out. You could have that debate, but for that movie they decided oh well we're just gonna push it you know because yeah. it's like no point of putting it out in theaters now. It really is just going to depend on like what Eon and MGM and Universal want to do with the distribution of it. It's, like, it's really I think that's gonna be my distinct answer. Every uh, movie uh, is gonna have to make that choice. I,
1: I mean again I I'm I go back to I, I don't think that there's any like uh, there's any trend i don't think that there's any like
0: what
1: like you know what if tenet does well i mean i i don't know i don't get this sense that everyone else is waiting to see i mean maybe a little bit but i i don't get this sense that everybody is like waiting to like see what the trend is for and for a couple different reasons one is because there's something weird about tenet I know we keep joking about it, but, like, the movies that are coming out are, like, what? New Mutants, which I think we've all been, you know, the, the story about it coming out is more interesting than anything else. And I think you and me at least have been on the same page of like, it's clear that they don't care about that movie and they were just kind of like
0: just dumping it. It it literally is like, that was like the last vestige of like the old X-Men universe before they can do whatever they're going to do with X-Men now. And it's just like, it's been a movie that was finished two years ago, essentially. Right.
1: So there, you know, there's that there's something I don't really, and maybe we'll find out, but there's just something weird about Tenet. And the only reason I say that is For the same exact reason, the Disney thing is like Disney is dumping, you know, their new mutants and there's been no really budge on what they're going to do with the other movies other than like Mulan doing this Disney Plus thing. So it's like nobody else is really rushing.
0: There's no, there's no to do like, I don't
1: even see a trend of like them waiting for that. They're just, there's something weirdly specific about like Tenet. And then there's another thing too, like, you know, I mean, aside from, you know, I've heard kind of like good to all over the place things about tenant like as a movie regardless but what's just weird about the strategy is like let's say it does make money like i feel like it would make money because people just need to go to the movies they just need to do something like i don't think it's one of these things where everybody's waiting for tenant to come out and they're gonna rush to see it i don't think it's like that type of draw yeah and because i and no movie is i don't think i mean so many crazy stuff so much crazy stuff is happening right now i don't think that tenant is like the 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 um the flame to the to the moths that like you know they they think that it may be
0: i mean i, I really think that in terms of tenant like i don't cuz obviously it's it just it's not going to be like any box office records or anything like that we just know that for a fact so it's either going to do like fine mhm and you know each again, it's like there's no real indication of you know what that's going to do to studios. I do think that if 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 Tenant does like really poorly like if there is like a, you know if it makes like you know and then mean maybe even say like eight million dollars or whatever, then I think that it is going to kind of have studios kind of looking of just like oh, you know maybe yeah. maybe we don't need to rush these movies out maybe yeah. people aren't at easier, but I just like it's really like. Nobody knows, still knows anything. I mean, again, like even like the theater thing, as I've said, like, there's still like really no clear, like, you know, and that's not movies aren't open everywhere and, and certain, you know, certain places just still kind of right. closed down. So, again, I just think it's like if, you know, theaters are going to stay open and if it, if that... If that trend continues, yeah, then it really is going to be up to every individual studio like what they want to do with their movies. Like there's and there's and there's going to be no rhyme or reason to the, it. The, I'm the sure. mo- that's the biggest
1: thing. I think the the best case scenario. Let's say it does very like it well. Like it makes like a decent. I can't imagine it doing being successful. That's like the weird thing. I, yeah. I just can't. I would be surprised if it was like a runaway success. Then we have to reevaluate. If it like makes like money that they're Oh, that's like better than we thought it was going to. The most I can say is you may see a studio willing to drop a movie here or there. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you you may see studios willing to be like, "All right, we'll like drop it in theaters just to like kind of make a few bucks off of it." Which is kind of crazy to think about a theatrical release movie. But you know, the other thing too is like, you know, I won't get too much into it because then I'll get all heated. But, you know, we, you know, there you know, the the big thing is you kind of had mentioned it is like, you know, theaters aren't open everywhere. Like that's kind of like the weird kind of like misconception about like, it's not like, Oh, nationwide theaters are open. Like, it's just kind of like theaters are just open wherever they're quote unquote allowed to be open. And I know there's like this big kind of like thing where, you know, everybody, you know, is happy with themselves because they're telling you that they're not going to go to a movie. So, you know, whatever. But it's also like, I don't really see this whole, eagerness that like people are going out in droves to go to the movies either
0: (laughs) like i said like the other main things have that have been open like anything that has kind of been open that are are, like are bigger kind of places like like movie theaters and stuff like that like it really has been like really mixed on how that stuff goes like you know just like the things of like movie theaters especially i think are are in a very weird place right now Mm -hmm. i don't think i don't think they're As simple to do, you know, as, like, a bar or, like, you know, you can kind of convince yourself that, like, you know. Sure. Like an outdoor – you know, you can kind of – like, movie theaters are still inside. People people, –
1: but people will go because, you know, it's something to do. Right, yes. No, I don't think that there is this magical – everybody's waiting to, like, go see – this right and then like especially
0: too because it's like especially
1: with disney not releasing like things like mulan or black widow or anything like that like Like, it's not going to be tenant i'm sorry (laughs) right Uh, i I know film twitter thinks it would be but it wouldn't
0: again it's just really we're at a point still where it's like one of these other we're eventually going to find out about one of these other big tentpole releases yeah that are supposed to be coming in you know november and you know obviously we're still you know again so much can happen in two months yeah. that we're not going to know until someone says something. Sure. Like, like, in terms of No Time to Die, we're just not going to know until MGM and, and Universal and Eon tell you what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And until, you know, we don't know, we obviously we know what's happening with Mulan, which was, again, del- you know, just about to come out and then delayed and then delayed and is like, okay, we're going to put it on Disney Plus for the price. Right. For three months. And then... You know, Black Widow, again, no real word. Yeah. You know, again, like I said, like uh, The King's Man pushed. You know, some of those other smaller releases might get pushed if they're really going, or maybe some of the bigger releases. I mean, it's also not as if that, like, a lot of things came out in theaters this week. You know, normally we're like, okay, well, like, three or four movies come out in theaters and there's a competition. Like, really, it's like all the only movies you're really hearing about, like, going to theaters right now are New Mutants and Tenet. Like, those are the only two that have any. I, I, I will
1: say this. Just release them in drive throughs or drive-ins. Right. Like, if you're going to do it, because, frankly... Bill and, Bill like, and Ted 3 did that. Bill and, Bill and Ted 3, New New Mutants had a screening. I, I went to go see, like, you know, I saw New New Mutants on, on a drive-in, and quite frankly, I was like, I don't know why they don't make a bigger deal out of this. I, I thought it was a perfectly acceptable way to watch the movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, now, granted, that was, like, a kind of, like, I think they, you know, the, the, the venue was specially made for it. So maybe it was, it was a little nicer, but, uh, I don't know, you know. I I think that they're going to miss out if they don't do like the tenant drive-in experience or something if they have to release these these movies. But you know that that's that's what that's what I'll say. I mean, what about you, that? We
0: don't know what Christopher Nolan thinks of the drive-in theater. Right?
1: I don't really care <laughs> what what he thinks. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let, let's talk. I, I am I am excited to talk about uh, today's today's episode
0: yes yeah, so more
1: more so like the more we kind of got into like the the closer we got to this episode the more excited I, I got this is maybe as niche and nerdy as i've ever gotten on this podcast right.
0: so um again this is our completion of our unofficial uh 60s spy tv trilogy and i you know there are other things i could have technically put it could have been a quadrilogy and stuff like that but i like the three these three together i feel really fit into this you know trilogy so we've we've looked at mission impossible gone through its history we looked at man from uncle and gone through his history and now kind of the final piece to that puzzle is get smart mm-hmm. originally uh, starting in 1965 on television we're also going to be looking at the 2008 feature film version mm-hmm. of the movie so um this will be like the other tv to movie episodes we've done we're going to talk a little bit about the television series itself mm-hmm. And the development of the show and sort of its legacy in that respect. And we'll talk about the journey from show to movie. Mm -hmm. But we also uh, not only looked at the movie uh, today, but... Uh, we also did take a look at uh, the pilot mm-hmm. of the original Get Smart series because Will, I as, own as,
1: season one on DVD, and as
0: well as hinted, he is this is a this is a favorite of his.
1: Huge! I am a big fan of, of Get Smart to the point that I would say, like you know, I, I grew up. A lot that, you know, uh, my, my family, we, we liked TV land. Like, we, we liked watching, like, old, like, Leave it to Beavers and, like, oh, yeah. Dick Van Dykes. And, like, we liked watching all the Gilligan's Island, like, a bunch of different shows that would have been on that channel. But in a weird way, my, my favorite one wasn't any of those. It was Always Get Smart. Like, for some reason, th- this this show just worked for for me. Like you know, uh, from when I was a young and all, all all the way until now. Like even getting ready for this episode, um, you know, you had said like because I was a little bit more familiar with it. Like you know, what would be a good episode to watch? So I actually kind of dove back into the old show, and um, you know, it it just it all came back to me. And then you know, we kind of decided to um. Uh, just focus in on the uh, the pilot episode, which I um, wasn't re- initially planning on it because you know we've talked before about sometimes pilots are a little bit iffy to you know judge the show by. Right. Um. But but this one, for reasons that we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, seemed like the best course of action. So, uh, yeah. So from my end of things, a, a huge, huge get smart fan, get smart fan.
0: Yeah. Um. So how we're gonna structure this episode. Uh, is again, we're going to talk about the television series itself. We're going to talk about its development and how it came to be. We'll talk about the episode that we watched, the pilot episode, uh, in this first half. And then we'll also get just a little bit into kind of, again, the journey to the movie because spoiler alert, it's a 2008 comedy. There's really not much to the production of the film itself. So, uh, we will. But we, we, we do have some things to change. I
1: love out. how that's the reasoning because it's a 2008. Con- like, really, like, you're right. Because once you get into that, like, the biggest news is, like, they were also considering this person for right. this role. And it's really, <laughs> like, and even, that's like, really all it even is. Even that, it's,
0: like, not much on that. They yeah. really much got, like, who they wanted. Yeah yeah yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, let's talk about – let's go back to the 60s. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the, the development of the series Get Smart. So – Obviously, again, just like with Man from Uncle, just like with um, uh, Mission Impossible, there is obviously an inspiration from the fact that James Bond and the spy series has been the big thing, and this is also, you know, Man from Uncle, you know, has aired its television pilot thing, and you know, has looks like it's going to be a big success, so that's kind of going to series, and so other kind of development is starting to happen. And again, this kind of new TV spy genre is kind of overtaking kind of the Westerns in, in a sense of like, this is like kind of our new thing for the sixties. So a, uh, man named David Melnick, Mm -hmm. um, who had just started his own, um, uh, company called talent associations. Uh, he was a television producer at ABC who had worked on like, the fugitive and um, the Flintstones prior to moving into this talent associations uh, company where he would kind of, the idea was he would develop scripts for movies and television and then pitch them to the studios. Instead of being the one that like works at the studio, he'll be the one kind of helping to pitch to the studios. So he wants to kind of start off. It's a kind of a brand new company. They've kind of have a couple projects in development, but he wants to start it off with kind of a bang idea. And so his thing is like, I want to combine the two most popular things in the world right now, James Bond <laughs> mm-hmm. and Inspector Clouseau. Okay. All right. So he's like, I want to kind of do James Bond on television. I want to do stuff with, like he's like, I want to do stuff with gadgets. I want to do stuff with the spy thing, but I want to do the, like the bumbling Inspector Clouseau thing too. So in terms of those three series that we've looked at, I would say that get smart is the most like directly, like we want to make a bond thing. Right. Because, like, obviously Man From U.N.C.L.E. had the Ian Fleming kind of connection, but it was more so, again, you know, they wanted the name Ian Fleming. Uh, and then Mission Impossible was just kind of a general, like, again, that guy was just like, I want to make a series that, like, has, you know, we can just plug in whatever. And, like, the spy thing is, like, we can just plug in characters and plots and just do, like, a formula. That's mm-hmm. was his thing. Whereas, like, again, the whole thing with uh, Get Smart was, like, we're going to do the Bond thing, but kind of funny and with Inspector Clouseau. So, uh, the talent associations uh, has some writers that they want to put on the project. Some writers that they're very high on, uh, named Mel Brooks and Buck Henry.
1: I think I, I've heard of one of those. Uh, you know, very, very, uh, very famous, right? Yes. Uh, Brooks. Yes. N- Mel? Mel. Oh, okay. So yeah, the, I've heard so- of that.
0: So, talk about these two real quick, because these are both really big names. Mm-hmm. So, Brooks is probably the one you're most familiar with, but both of them are huge names within the history of you know film and, and, and television in some sense. So, Mel Brooks in this era was just coming off of his career as a writer for Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows and the Sid Caesar Hour later, uh, which was a very famous variety comedy hour um, that featured basically all the major comedy names in new york like it's like mel brooks and carl reiner and you know simon and woody allen like Mm. all wrote for this show it's like kind of a who's who of like new york comedy comedians and so brooks was that period where he had just finished off that show and he was trying to work on plays you know or trying to do his own stuff he had done the 2000 year old man with carl reiner at this point which had been a a hit with in in record shops across america and so this was you know he was kind of him being hired as a writer that he was you know, known, um, you know, kind of a known TV kind of writer guy, and so he wanted to do that. Meanwhile, Buck Henry was a c- upcoming comedian and writer who was most famous for this character he developed for for radio and sketch shows who was an animal rights activist who wanted to clothe all animals with, with his catchphrase being one of his catchphrases being a nude horse is a rude horse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So these were just two kind of big comedians, like kind of up and coming. And they both had um, uh, associations with talent associations and, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, we want you to write a pilot, be James Bond, be Inspector Lousseau, be funny. Mm -hmm. And Brooks like launched himself onto the concept Because, as he put it, he you know, because if we're looking at the sitcoms of this era or like the half-hour comedies, it was all the at-home things. It was like the Jack Benny Show or Mm -hmm. like the you know, or it's like Hazel, which was like you know about the maid that you know kind of had all these issues with the with her with her living family and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. You know, uh, you know, and Carl Reiner like like
1: a very domestic comedy, right? Domestic comedy, Mm -hmm.
0: and like you know. Brooks, you know, and Carl Reiner at this time was starting to develop the Dick Van Zyke show, which would also in its own way be a very influential and very different mm-hmm. means of doing that. It was like more of the workplace comedy and, and kind of the craziness of there. But a, a, a Brooks quotes directly about writing um, Get Smart was he said, uh, I was sick of looking at all these nice, sensible situation comedies. There are such distortions of life. If a maid ever took over my house like Hazel, I'd set her hair on fire. I wanted to do a crazy, unreal, comic strip kind of thing about something besides a family. No one had ever done a show about an idiot before. I decided to be the first.
1: You know what's funny about creatives is like how genius and also kind of dumb that they can be. The reason I say that, though, is like only they would be like, listen, I can't wrap my head around like parodying, like, you know, just – everyday life why don't I just come up with something wacky (laughs) like you know like like you can use your imagination to like parody like something like the spy genre but it's not like I mean the domestic humor it's like that they're making fun of it like it's also a fantasy so I always just find it funny like where they where they uh but that's where sometimes I guess you know comedy genius comes from it's like you know you don't relate to one thing and then you find a niche in another area
0: so um, so Brooks and Henry were kind of – and it was like they had kind of generally known each other just from the fact that they were both kind of, again, doing these sticks with, like, the, the animal rights activist thing and the, uh, the the 2,000-year-old man thing. So they kind of just knew each other, um, but they really clicked onto this script, which is the pilot script mm-hmm. that we know. Um, so basically they come up with the, the character of Maxwell Smart and the character of Agent 99 and the, the whole thing of, of, you know, all the – all the catchphrases, all the stuff as we kind of we will talk about mm-hmm. kind of come from this first script and come from the Brooks and, and Henry collaboration. So they basically like put this pilot out and it's beloved everything but everybody like you know the the producers that you know put it out there like love it think it's got to be a big hit so um, the connections of Daniel Melkin that he had at ABC from his previous job he brings the script to ABC uh, and ABC, Wanted to make some big changes to the show. Mm. Uh, they wanted to do a thing where they have a more consistent dog character, which ironically does eventually get put into mm. this first mm-hmm. episode, but wasn't a part of that original, original, original pilot script. As well as, as Brooks put it, they wanted to put a print house code on the show. Max was to come home to his mother and explain everything. I hate mothers on shows. Max. <laughs> Max has no mother. He never had one. So it was basically like they were trying to make it more into, again, the house show. And right, like right. You have to come home, you know, sort of. Like- that is
1: interesting, though. Like that would be like their kind of like way of at least injecting some sort of d- domestic familiarity is like, oh, like he's got, um, you know, family. But also kind of interesting, though, too, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, given that the relationship they end up following with, you know, Max and 99. It's like being very much a husband and wife scenario. So it's funny that eventually it it does kind of get, it does get domestic eventually the the show. Yeah.
0: So, um, uh, so basically they are like, well, fine, ABC doesn't want it. You know, they're going to shop it to other networks and eventually it's picked up by NBC. Mm. NBC is really into this pilot script, love the humor, and, it's, it's kind of, in a sense, like very much the start of, you know, not the start, but it's very much a part of NBC's comedy legacy uh, in terms of, you know, they were always kind of into these kind of more weird uh, comedy shows, uh, you know, and, and stuff like later, later, later down the line, obviously like different executives, but like, it's kind of like stuff like Cheers and Seinfeld and Friends, which were rejected by mm-hmm. other things. It's like NBC was kind of this show that like picked that's type of stuff up that they were, they always had an eye on the, on the comedy stuff. Right. Uh, So from there, it's just, they kind of get that cast together. Um, Don Adams uh, is our Maxwell smart Mm -hmm. on the show. And Don Adams is a very big creative force on the show. He directs a lot of episodes. He is very much involved with coming up with the humor and the concepts and the jokes, very collaborative environment, especially in that early era of the show. Uh, and of course, Barbara Feldon comes in mm-hmm. as Agent ninety nine. So from there, it's just like it really was a show that was like off to the races, and immediately like a it, it hit mm-hmm. essentially. Um, Brooks and 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 uh, Buck Henry were very were basically stopped their most involvement after that first season. Um, Brooks because he had he just had this concept for a musical about Hitler. <laughs> Which turned into a movie about making a play about a musical about Hitler. Right, okay. Which launched him as a star director. Mm -hmm. And Buck Henry would stay on the show as a story editor, but was also in the middle of writing The Graduate, Mm -hmm. uh, which he would get nominated for an Oscar for. And eventually he would become a big writer and eventually a director as well. So... They basically like kind of had tangential relations to the show. Brooks would still kind of like pop in at the beginning of a season and just kind of like, you know, be an overseer. But he he said that like after the first season it was it was like the Dom Ad- Dom Adams and, and, and the writers on the show. Mm-hmm. Like that was their that was their show. Right. And as and it, and it essentially like it was just a big hit and it took a lot of you know, it's eventually like a lot of the elements of the show, like the 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 stuff between control, which is the main mm-hmm. thing, and chaos, was really taken off of, not just Bond Inspector, but what was going on in Men from Uncle with uh, the Uncle organization and Thrush, um, and a lot of the big development of the show was kind of the relationship between smart in 99 mm-hmm. so you
1: want to just like kind of hop into yeah, the pilot so, episode so,
0: so let's talk about the pilot episode so you're right so the
1: it's basically a, a direct james bond like parody right. in the sense of it's like secret agent uh, uh maxwell smart he has a code name agent 86 but you know he goes by you know right. everybody just calls him max um and it's basically he works for control um, which is you know the kind of like the MI MI six yeah. uh, of the of this world, uh, and they are fighting the evil forces of chaos yeah. uh, spelled with a K. Yeah. Uh, and um, so and, and that's kind of exactly. it. And then every week is a you know is a Bond plot, but with you know comedic whimsy. Right. It, and is I said, so what like one
0: again, one of the parts is like it was very much Bond, whereas like you know some of the other shows, you know, especially initially like Man from Uncle and. Mission Impossible, like, avoided the huge gadget stuff. This mm-hmm. leans into the ridiculous gadget right. things. Like, the, in, infamously, like, the first thing, like, of the show is, like, the shoe phone, mm-hmm. which is, like, still one of the most famous elements of the show. But it, it's in that very sense of, like, taking... I, I think another Brooks quote was, like, he wanted to take the Bond thing and move it, like, half to half an inch. Like, half an inch more ridiculous. Right. Where it's, like, you know, Bond was ridiculous, but we're going to go more ridiculous than that. We're going to have, like, the shoe phones and and, like, uh, just a very different gadget.
1: Yeah, I like. mean, the, one of the reasons I, I chose this one, uh, the pilot, because really the only difference between the pilot and the rest of the show is that the pilot was in black and white. Uh, it's traditionally a in-color show. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the re- – the, the biggest reason I wanted to do it is because really this show – this episode really sets the stage for – like for the rest of the series i mean you basically get to know every important character and you get to know it's funny because you never this usually isn't the case with comedies especially but the pilot episode basically starts every running gag yes through, throughout the show which is another reason that i wanted that i wanted to uh to show it and i think
0: i i did have because i'm somewhat familiar with the series I'm not as familiar with it as you are mm. but i do kind of know some of the jokes and stuff like that so, like, okay. i like i know like the the introduction sequence and stuff like right that. and i i really felt like it was very much similar to like when we first watched like dr no where it's like you kind of really forget or don't realize that so much of what is bond or what is get smart is established right away mm-hmm. and like it's it's so it was the perfect episode to watch especially because it is the Brooks and, and Buck Henry script. right? And I will say this, this is a total Mel Brooks script. Like I, Oh, so- if, if
1: you think this is a Mel Brooks script, because the only other, the closest episode I was going to choose other than this was the second episode, which is a little bit more of a direct bond parody and even more of like a Dr. No parody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's even more Brooks than this one where they kind of do the TV version of Brooks because there's some of that like off color humor, but like the, uh, the or like the politically incorrect humor but for tv yeah. um one of my favorite like things was is like I mean, they do the whole thing where it's like, you know, they have Dr. No, but they have the claw is like the is the name of the of the villain. And he's like, you know, this uh, part of this like Chinese gang that's like working for chaos. And, um, you know, in very Brooks fashion, like he comes in and you know, Max is like, you know, and you know, he's like, he's like, Oh, who are you? And then he's like, I am the claw. And he's like, the crawl <laughs> like so you know so but they do the brooks thing where it's like you know they're making fun of you know little uh, politically incorrect humor with making fun of his accent but then he's like he's because the whole plot is like they're stealing like a bunch of blondes yeah. blonde women and um and then he's like, and then the Claw is like, we only needed one of, like, the princess of all the women. He's like, well, why'd you steal all the other women? He's like, well, you know, all you people look alike. <laughs> like It's a max, so he's yeah. like, all white people look alike. So very brooksy in that, like, and, you know, politically incorrect, yeah. but also, like, flipping it on its like, head.
0: I, there is, to me, like, in my head, because I was watching this show, and, and obviously Dom Adams is great mm-hmm. as, as Maxwell Smart. He, like, nails it. But there's also a version of me where it's like – because I also recently watched um, High Anxiety, mm-hmm. which is Brooks's Hitchcock parody. Mm. Um, wh- have you seen that? No. I think you would really enjoy it because it's like Hitchcock. It makes fun of the birds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's like the first like speaking starring role that he has, Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. And I could just hear Brooks saying all of these lines. Right. Right. Like, it's just so like, pattern after the way that Brooks speaks and, yeah. and Brooks, like, looks at the world that I was, like, really enjoying. Because I'm a huge Brooks. Like, Brooks is one of my all-time favorite directors, so it was huge to kind of... And I know, like, I just, like, see this and see, like, even that kind of translate into a show that becomes even bigger than even he, mm-hmm. like, would I ever thought of.
1: And, you know, I'm going to have a really boring answer to this, but I think this is when I should get into why I love the show so much and why it was, you know, such a favorite of mine growing up. It's just funny. It's funny. It's, it's just it's, a funny show. Like it's, it, it's like the timing of it, and there's a little bit of like, you know, there's maybe a little bit of finding the footing only because it's like the first episode in this one. and you know, and, and some of it's a little bit of like old, you know, 60s TV dated humor. So maybe even some of the timing may be a, like a little bit skew than what you're yeah. used to in the modern era. But like, like the jokes are just it's just like that smart, dumb humor like so for instance in this episode it will just be little classic things like you know uh the chief will give uh you know max like the photo of like the the of the something related to the mission and it's like this like thermo like heat gun or whatever and then he he gives it to him he's like max he's like do you know what this is and it's a close-up of the and i think it also has to do with the editing which i like a lot too it's like they they actually show a close-up of the picture so like the and that's the genius of get smart is like they're treating the situation seriously. Yeah. So like they, they give you all the, uh, the information, uh, and the visual language of, uh, of the show very straightforwardly and very seriously. And then, so it's like, Max, do you know what this is? Close up of the picture. Close up of Max. He's like, I believe it's a photograph, sir. <laughs> like,
0: just, is again, a little, just classic. I'm gonna say it's total. It's a total Mel Brooks right, thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and like I said, like I, I'm a huge Mel Brooks guy. Right. Like you know, Blazing Saddles of my all-time favorite movies. I, I love the producers. Love Young Frankenstein. Uh, love silent movie. I think is very underrated. I think like even some of his later work, where it's like. I don't think like High Anxiety and and History of the World Part 1 are perfect, but there's always like something Brooksy that I can Mm -hmm. can grab myself onto. And it's like that type of just, again, the smart, dumb humor and just to take it seriously element of it. And I think like also that works for the character of of Maxwell Smart Mm -hmm. in the sense like, he is a bumbling goof, mm-hmm. but he's also competent. Like he, That well that's the
1: biggest thing. But that, that definitely yeah. makes the show
0: work a lot better.
1: Yeah. And and it's a factor that I actually think makes as we you know without getting too much into it that makes like the the feet, the movie work more than probably it should. Is that they there's this character element where they make it where he's good he's he's competent at his job like you know be and it's also because they frame it in this kind of like goofball world too that you can kind of get away with it a little bit but for the most part other than his quirks that make him more of a goofball he's like decent at his job he can like do do things he's more of kind of like he really is more of like like in mel brooks does kind of have like his hand into that old like warner's looney tune like world like just things kind of feel like that type of wacky um but like the actual like quote-unquote stakes at play are always consistent throughout um and uh and, and that's that's the big that's the big thing and another thing that just always worked about the show is like um it just strikes that tone very well like you're constantly aware it's a comedy. But the structure of all of the episodes and the mystery are played very straightforward. And the characters are treating it very straightforward. But they also give all the characters that level of, like, uh, of levity to them. And I think that that's the thing. Like, even when you watch this one, there's no character. It's very easy to make it, like, Max is the dumb one. Or, like, Ma- or Max is, like, the only silly one. Or, you know, he right. is in a world where everybody else is serious um there's a level of like the the chief is also not above like you know being uh subjected to some sort of silliness a- as right. well um, and like even if there's the bad guys, they like do a little bit of wordplay where it's like, oh, it's Mr. Big and he's a little person, like little things like that. So it- it's very,
0: I mean, you definitely crafted. Uh, I think you have like a thing where you know it's Agent Thirteen or or whoever, or Agent 13, whatever. Yeah, like he's in like the locker, right? You know, and it's like ridic- just that ridiculousness where it's like it's it's treated like okay, it's normal for him to just be in right. the locker.
1: So it- it's setting up the rules of this world that it's a very straightforward, taking seriously like it's almost like if you were to look at like a cartoon world like to you it's like a silly kind of like looney tunes world but to them like to a cartoon world person in the cartoon world it would be like how we live in our world like this is just like how it is they take it just as seriously as we would take our real world so like this is just like
0: like a roger roger rabbit scenario exactly
1: so like people like you know agents being stationed in like trash cans and like lockers is just part of the job there's nothing silly about that in the world yes. um yeah and so and, and and it's interesting to see how they play off on that like as you go go into the movie but it, it just all works and it, yeah. it's just it's so funny it finds that really good blend between like the the physical humor and like the slapstick but then also kind of like the clever like old school 1960s wordplay too and uh um, you know, just like little things like Max is looking for, they have to do like, he doesn't know who Agent 99 is yet. That was, that's another thing. It's like this movie kind of, or not movie, the show, this pilot sets up like this is the first episode where 99 and Max meet, where not all pilots are like, yeah. like that. They usually are just... You know, they kind of like jump right into Especially
0: it. Especially pilots of that era, they'll usually just jump right into the show.
1: So, you know, he's look, he doesn't know who he is, so he has to do like a, a code like phrase, you know, the, to the, find. Uh,
0: yeah, the the Mets win the doubleheader. Yeah,
1: and, uh, you know, he goes up to this kid who's like saying that out loud because the, he's reading it off of a paper. And then he's like, you know, he thinks that this is the other agent, and the kid's looking at him all weird. And then he's like, are you? He's like, are you 99? No, I'm six and a half. Like just, yeah. just great stuff. And like it's that. just like
0: again, like the subtle things, of just the era where it's like you know the Mets win the doubleheader and like the whole reason that's the co phrase is like that would never happen because the Mets suck. Right. Yeah. And exactly. They win. They actually win the doubleheader. Right. Right. Uh, so. Even like dumb, like again, the dumb stuff where like it's like, just like you know we have we meet ninety nine. She's in this hat the whole time, and then at one point where Max is almost killed, like yeah. she takes off her hat and it's like her hair flows down, and Max just looks at her and it's like. You're a girl. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like, Dumber, it's like, of course, like so, she uh, was clearly, like, it's not like she was hiding her identity, she was clearly a girl the entire right. time. Right, and, and
1: they play it as silly, like, they, it, you get this sense that, they know that's a dumb joke. Yeah. Like you just kind of get it's, that.
0: Again, it's a, such a Mel Brooks thing where it's like Mel Brooks will do a joke that you he knows is dumb, yeah. but he'll commit to that joke and that's what kind of makes it And funny. it's also
1: funny because you do have to wrap your head around that most of the joke is like, wait a minute, like the entire 20 minutes before this, he just assumed this was a man. Yeah. Like so, they're, they're, so and that does bring me to, I think, three of like the major things that at least I feel that kind of like uh, epitomize this series. Yes. One one is the running gags.
0: The running gags uh, yes. and,
1: and the running gags. Like we we get them. Like um, the the opening segment is obviously one of them. That that's more of just the opening segment. But the like for instance the cone of silence, where it's like it's time to bring down the cone of silence, and they do this thing where even the chief is like, really the cone of silence, and it's this big kind of like tub that fits over them like individually these little pods which you know would probably be you know is is very apropos today because of like social distancing and everything so yeah. uh but like so it comes down and then you know so nobody can hear them but then they're like he's like so anyway chaos is planning on being here and by by the evening and then the other person would be like what <laughs> and so they can't hear each and other start, and they're, like
0: misinterpreting what they're saying like, so that's like pl- like he's in hong kong what about hong kong exactly what <laughs>
1: Um, and one of my personal favorites is the which I said at the top is the would you believe like uh, yeah. the joke? Um, like the, basically the style of joke, well, as it was in um, um, this one where, where he's like, you know, would you, it's like he's like right now you are surrounded by five uh, coastal like uh, seven yeah, or seven uh, coast Coast Guard ships and he's like, I find that hard to believe. And he's like, would you believe? three Coast Guard ships. It's like, I still find that hard to believe. He's like, how about four cops in a (laughs) rowboat? So that would be the the, the series of jokes. And so these are all the running gags that they would just go uh, uh, through uh, uh, throughout. The the, the running gag is an underrated uh, TV uh, trope that is really good to master. Like one of the only other ones, you know, it's, it's honestly like this is very real abrupt correlation but just like in a lot of like like um like uh like like jewish comedies like it's like you know like curb your enthusiasm and seinfeld are also very good at this just like running gags within the like um i mean some other shows are but there's a very specific where like especially if you watch curb like they'll play like it that's another show that's known for like they hit like a gag like every other episode um so anyway so there's the running gag um the other minor one i would say is the chief like the chief is another one that is like a like a like a staple uh, of this thing and and the chief is one you know that's he's the m uh role um and, like I said, he's not above, like, the the whimsy. Like, he's the most, like, he's the most straight man of them. But one thing that's kind of nice is they kind of make him part of the, the main cast. And they kind of make him, like, this bemused, like, you know, kind of, like, leader of, like, Max. But he's also, like, Max's best friend, which I... <laughs> like it kind of seems like he likes Max yeah. like a lot even though like he's like oh my god like Max is up to his old tricks again but he's like you know he's like but you know I love you man like so it's like it, and that's kind of like a nice uh separation from Bond in which I always think like M's trying to get Bond killed yeah um so that's great too but the the, the biggest one for me is the relationship between Max and 99
0: yeah and I think you you immediately still get that mm-hmm. like chemistry within this first episode is just like even from their introductions it's just like They are like almost two perfectly paired characters together. And I can just imagine like if you watch the whole series, you would see that kind of – that relationship and the chemistry just develop even more. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and for those who don't know, the show ultimately goes on to – uh, you know, they, they kind of do a will-they-won't-they they a little bit during the show, but then eventually they do get married and they do follow up on, like, them actually being, like, you know, in a relationship and then husband and wife, and they they, they follow through on that. They as have, the, like,
0: kids, too. I believe they do, yeah. they have yeah. twins.
1: Um, so they they go through all... So they go through all that. And it, it really is a staple. And one of the reasons that, I, that makes it work so much is the way that both of these um actors play play this role. One of one of the great things I like, especially when you watch this, is that they're both kind of dorks. Yes. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Like they always play that like ninety-nine is what well, no, I actually find this interesting because there's like kind of lip service that she's not bumbling in the same way Max is. So clearly you kind of like look at that as like she's more competent at his job. But there's really nothing in the language of like the show to make it seem that way. She's just not as silly. Right. A- as, as, as he is. Um, but one of the things that did strike me is that they kind of play it as like, oh, they're both into each other right away mm-hmm. because they're both kind of like she is very square. Like, it seems like that. Like, she's very, like, just kind of, like, you know, uh, smiley and straightforward and, like, very, like, approachable. But just – she has kind of, like, a dorky quality about her. Uh, 100%. And then Max being, like, a dork himself. Yeah. And then when they kind of have their meet cute and he's like, oh, you're a girl and they – Obviously, they're playing up on like a spy trope where it's like, oh, they fall in love like right away and they're about to kiss. But like, you kind of believe it and it makes sense as it goes forward into like, you know, uh, the a will they won't they mm-hmm. as, as they go along.
0: Yeah. And even like just stuff where like, then, you know, they look at this, this, the garbage skull, which like houses the main bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, seagulls. And it's like, seagulls, they're, you know, and there are no seagulls. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is like, of course. When was the last time you saw, like, a garbage skull without any seagulls? <laughs> um, and also, like, one thing I would mention, too, is, yeah, I just think that they immediately hit off. Like, there is, like, the kiss gag where they're about to kiss, and it's like, you know what? You know, maybe later or whatever mm-hmm. whatever it was. Like, it was funnier than that. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm underrating it. But even at the, at the very end when they're having this big fight on the ship... Uh, and it's just again very silly in the way that it's it's done mm-hmm. it's, it's it's the 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 action just kind of retains that kind of core silliness from the rest of the show and i think that's what makes it it's just an entertaining watch it's just it's fun to watch like the whole way through and there's like a whole especially like cuz it's a 60s television that yes you do kind of get some of that those kind of as you said like the the mel brooksy type of like pl- politically you know challenging mm-hmm. stuff but there's also just kind of the a general like 60s wholesomeness to it too where it's just like kind of just this silly goofy comedy right, yeah. where like the dog will be like you know max whacks the dog like are you ready to like get in danger and the dog like immediately like runs away mm-hmm. like back to his. well place.
1: they they play and and maybe as i get more into the series maybe they kind of like uh may, may, maybe they do this if i'm not remembering correctly but i always remember the show as it's easy to remember it as this kind of show where max is kind of like all right, and then he's like, "No, ninety nine. I got this." And then he does, and then he goes to do it, and then like he doesn't know what he's doing, and then and then he's like, "Oh, Max." And then ninety nine just does it like like that, like yeah. you know, like she like you know she's way more competent than him. It, it's easy to kind of remember the show that way. And really, when you watch the show, it's just that Max is just more of he's the star of the show. Right. So it's like he's more of like the slapstick, uh, the conduit for the comedy. Um, but when you really look at the specifics of it, they do kind of put them on equal footing in terms of yeah. their competency. Mm-hmm. And I think that that goes a long way to the point that, like, in, in some ways even uh, it's a little bit more equal footing to this but it's kind of like when you know you have the batman 60s show but you have batman and robin like you yeah. know like robin is just as key to being a partner to batman in that 60s batman show like you can't imagine a get smart show without 99 in, right. in it um and you don't look at it as like oh she's just like the the woman in the show she's like the you, you look at her as like the partner um so, so that, so that is like, so those are kind of like the three elements that make the show work. And then ultimately at the end of the day is, you know, it's, it's a really, it's just a really solid pilot. It's super funny. Oh, yeah. And, and again,
0: uh, you have two very talented writers in, in Brooks and Henry kind of just setting the stage mm-hmm. for the rest of the show, whereas even they are go on to bigger success right. that they really lay a groundwork for a very successful series of television. Mm-hmm one other guy I, I really too like too is like there, cause the whole thing is like there. Um, it's like a, a, heat ray that like will make things like melt or disappear like instantly. That's mm. like, that's what we are trying to find. And like, they, they track it to like this, like kind of joke shop where like the rubber banana peel or whatever. And it's, you know the shop owner's like, oh, you have to like stand by the window to like read this file, and Max is trying to read this file mm-hmm. because he's like a- oblivious that they're gonna try to kill him. Right, right. But there's these markings on the floor that he has to stand. Right. <laughs> and and the shopkeeper like sees him like shuffling around and like just miss like the exact part, and it's just like again, just like very simple. Right. Like, very brooksy. Really brooksy.
1: V- very very brooks. Oh, and also uh, the uh, shoe phone uh, is another right. big right. running yeah, gag that you had mentioned. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The shoe phone, which is like again right in the beginning, like one of the first things you see, and it's like kind of immediately. That opening scene really just sets the stage, where he, like he go, he's at the opera, his phone's, his shoe phone's ringing. He goes out, he answers it in a closet, and then he can't get out of the closet. Yeah.
1: I, you know, I almost want to take it back as I'm thinking about the show. Is it more so like that he is like clumsy, that Max is like clumsy, or is it just like this is kind of they they just kind of frame it as like the circumstances of this world are just kind of like yeah. ridiculous. Right, yeah. So like you know, yes, he gets like locked in a closet at one point, but this is also a world where you clock in to your spy job.
0: You clock so, in your spy job. Or like you have this big thing where it's like, we're going to like, you know, they they have someone telling him when they first meets 99. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're going to do like routine 45. And it's like this big deal. And it's just him walking into the locker. Right. Like, yeah. That, that the other agents in. It's, right. It's just stuff like I think that. that's
1: like the biggest thing. It's like, they place him in this also parody world and not like, Oh, this is a real world. And he's like the kind of like weird cartoon one in it. So I, I think that's what really works about the show.
0: Yeah. So, uh, just quickly, uh, let's just kind of get from the show mm-hmm. and where the movie is. So, the show has five successful seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the first four on our on NBC, and then the final season on CBS. Um, there is a consideration for a movie in the middle of the show's run because of the success of the 1966 Batman movie. Mm-hmm. That they saw this big success of Batman is like, oh, like get smart. We can make a movie out of it and then a monsters movie came out and mm. bombed so oh, they're wow. like Never mind. No, get smart. Media. I, you know, and, and as
1: I was saying, I can't believe they never did a crossover with uh, this and Batman. I right. Mean, you know, they they got the Green Hornet in there at one point. Like they couldn't they couldn't get like uh, Max and '99 in there.
0: Batman was an ABC show, so yeah, it was yeah. Like they, ABC was already getting hurt by the fact that they had rejected. Get fair, smart. fair enough. Fair enough. So yeah, the first four seasons NBC, NBC cancels it. CBS picks it up for a final season mm-hmm. uh, in the late '60s, and then basically off the air into syndication. It's a, it's a show just like the other uh, spy shows of the era. It's like memorable mm-hmm. and especially because of the comedy, it kind of has a cult following in that sense of just the people remember the running gags and the, the opening sequence with the doors is very iconic as well. Uh, and through the 70s, the show remained successful on syndication to the point where a movie is eventually made mm-hmm. in 1980, mm-hmm. which is originally titled The Return of Maxwell Smart. But then some executive was like, "Oh, like you know, we don't need the smart name in there, so mm-hmm. they name it the Nude Bomb, for whatever. Okay. Uh, for whatever. Oh, well, I guess because the Nude Bomb is a whole, the whole plot of the movie is that Chaos invents a bomb that only detonates clothes, mm-hmm. so that they can become the world's only provider of clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, most infamously about the movie is that Don Adams is really the only original." cast member involved or original production person involved. Like he's the only one that is involved in the movie at all. And there's a lot of, there's still to this day, a lot of mystery about like how exactly that movie came to be. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, it might've been originally a TV movie that they moved to doing a, uh feature film. But then people were worried, like you people know, get smart, even though that's why the reason the movie was made. There's a whole lot of kind of conjecture about what the movie was or why, why it exists uh, especially because, like, like Barbara Feldon didn't know it was in production until, like, it came out and that sort of thing. Right. So it was very much like Dot Adams just kind of did it because it was, like, still his, his thing. And it was playing the Maxwell Smart character. Um, this was 1980, so this was, again, that era where we also had the revival of, you know, we had the Man from Uncle Reunion in 83. We had the Mission Impossible reunion series in the later 80s during the writer's strike. So this was, like, a big general revival to the point where Get Smart got another revival uh, in 1989. A television movie called Get Smart Again, which does feature mm-hmm. uh, uh, Don Adams and, and Barbara Feldon and uh, 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 Landon Stern, who was a writer on the original show, wrote mm-hmm. the script. And also, as I found out, uh, Stern also invented Mad Libs. Oh, really? Yes, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so uh, so that is like a very successful. I think
1: Stern has a cameo in this movie, in the in the movie too. Yes, yeah, I believe yeah. so.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So, that one was uh, uh, aired on ABC, which was the the network that originally um, rejected Get Smart uh, because they were in the middle of their Columbo revival as well. So, they were doing the kind of... This was the the end of the era of like the TV movie of the week where they would just like make a movie for TV and just air it. So, Get Smart 89, Mm -hmm. very successful, very memorable to the point where a couple years later, a new series is commissioned uh, by Fox. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Get Smart has a distinction of having aired on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox. <laughs> right. Uh, so, that one, it features Andy Dick as... That, yeah, I'm familiar with that, with that line, one. Yeah. Uh, and so, that one runs for seven episodes and goes nowhere. Yeah. And at that point, there is kind of like, okay, well, what could we do next with Get Smart? And really, it was kind of like... The whole thing about it was they it was kind of circled in this like 98 era of like Jim Carrey, not in the sense of like, oh, we're going to do a get smart me with Jim Carrey. It was more so we need more movies for Jim Carrey to do. Oh, we have get smart. So maybe that could be a thing. Right. Right. So it wasn't necessarily like in development with him. It was just kind of like Jim Carrey is hot. We have get smart. Maybe we'll do that. They end up obviously not doing that. Um, well,
1: and also the, you know, we've talked about like, you know, the, the taste for like, you know, doing some sort of like parody of, because at this point, the parody of the spy genre is not unheard of. But, you know, once you kind of get into the age of Austin Powers, yeah. like, you've almost kind of, like, you've almost uh, uh, satisfied that immediate, like, hunger for, like, a parody of the spy genre. Like, that's, like, the ultimate, at least the most exaggerated version of, like, parodying the spy genre. So then, um, you know, it, it probably, you know, not to say you can't do something like Get Smart, but, you know, the... Immediacy of doing it uh, is not as uh, immediate.
0: Yeah. So, um, but eventually we get into where were two thousand seven, mm-hmm. two thousand eight, where just it was just kind of a, it literally was like we're looking for a new comedy to do. They had just been there was a success of like the longest yard, which was the previous one with the director Peter Siegel. Just in terms of, like we remade this. What are other kind of things we can redo? Mm-hmm. Get Smart was just on the table. It was just an option. And they were also looking for a vehicle. They were looking for a Steve Carell vehicle. Mm-hmm. like They were looking for a vehicle of Steve Carell, who had just gotten very successful in The Office. Again, this is like peak era Office, like season three, season four in that realm, uh, where you know it's the biggest show on TV, and Steve Carell is, is one of the biggest stars on television. And so they're obviously looking to transition him into back into film stuff. And get smart was just like it was just on the table of just like okay well this this is it yeah and that's really that's pretty much like the there's no big like kind of journey for it from all the productions of those previous shows it well was you just...
1: almost already sell the movie because with Steve Carell is Max Smart and get and get smart like that's your movie right there because you know as we get into it Steve Carell is perfect for the role yeah. like I would even argue more so than jim carrey and i'll I'll get specific about that as we talk about the movie but you know there's your pitch right there like what's it about i said it's a get smart movie with steve carell as max smart yeah
0: so i mean it's really the the thing to talk about the movie mostly is just like just before we get into it real quick it's just the cast and where they were at this point in their Mm -hmm. careers because we have steve carell as um as maxwell smart Mm -hmm. and just like i said it was just like you know he was just becoming a big star he you know he had been in stuff like bruce almighty at this point like right. it wasn't like a, you know it wasn't a you know thing to film but it was still just like we want a vehicle for steve carell mm-hmm. you know to to do and, and get smart seemed like the, the the best thing to do uh we also have Anne hathaway as agent 99 mm-hmm. and that was you know she we
1: was, had talked about this off mic a little bit too where it's well, like yeah, yeah so go ahead. she
0: was you know she was at a point where you know her career began in 2001 with the Princess diaries and she was kind of in that Early career of just like Princess Diaries and Ellen Enchanted, Prison Diaries too, like kind of in that family film thing. You know, she had just kind of broken out with Devil Wears Prada in two thousand and five, right? And this was kind of part of her expanding her reach. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this kind of silly comedy,
1: but that's also an action movie yeah. too. Yeah, right. It's mm-hmm. like
0: action movie and comedy, and this like this was just her trying to break out into becoming a bigger star, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like she was on the rise, mm-hmm. and then we have. Dwayne the Rock Johnson right and as I mentioned you can tell the era of the rock by his hair Mm -hmm. so this is he had done his like big burst out from acting to Hollywood and like Scorpion King and and Walking Tall and all those movies already and now this was his era of like the Disney movies and and like kind of the, the short hair rock where it's like oh, see, I can be funny too and I can be kind of in these. This was, and in,
1: in, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but this was during the era where him being in the movie was kind of like a fun novelty still. Yes. Uh, like, it was still kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you like The Rock, but you're kind of like, oh, The Rock's going to be in it. Like, right, that's this, fun. This is
0: this is like way, this is like really way before he's highest paid actor in the world yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. This is like, he's still kind of shaking off the like, he's the former professional wrestler with mm-hmm. the nickname and this is also the era where it's like, he kind of stops embracing the rock name. He's mm-hmm. trying to go more into Dwayne Johnson where it's Now I think he kind of evens it out where it's like, he is the rock and he is Dwayne Johnson. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, this was the era where it's like, okay, well I'm Dwayne Johnson and I'm doing my own thing. Um, And so those are like an Alan Orkin as the chief. And this mm-hmm. was, that was kind of the, you know, classic comedian, Kind yeah of, like more of
1: like a veteran name veteran in your comedy like, yeah like
0: the type of comedian that would have guest starred on get smart like mm-hmm. years ago like you know when like right at the beginning of his career type of thing yeah um and then peter siegel is the director um and he is most known for i mean he got his like big breakout was tommy boy but he was like he was the adam sandler director for a couple years mm-hmm. he was like anger management Fifty First dates he'd just come off the the adam sandler longest yard remake and right it, it was just like he's like a name you need a comedy Done, you get Peter Siegel. <laughs> um and that's pretty much like really all I have to say about. Yeah, that. I mean, it's even just, I looked up the the background. It was like you know, there's
1: kind of like a list of like here were some other actors that could have possibly have been in it. Like you know, yeah. here are some other female uh, actresses that could have been 99. Like things things like that. Right, but like,
0: it really got they got like who they wanted. Right, like yeah. that was really kind of the thing. Yeah, we um, also have Dollop Singh as Dollop Singh the mm-hmm. assassin yeah who is also i just know him because he was the great collie in wwe I, I figured you would know him yeah i was gonna that was gonna was, be one of my he, questions Peter Siegel that met was. him on the longest yard right right and they just liked working with each you other you also
1: know what era of movies this is because there's and I'm, I'm sorry i don't remember the guy's name but you know there's the uh there's siegfried's uh sidekick who was also the actor from yeah. borat yeah yeah uh masi is also in this uh in this movie The the um uh, one of the nerds, the 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 Asian uh yeah. nerd, because he was from Heroes, right? Um, so um, uh,
0: Nock, uh, David Nochner and yeah. Terry mm-hmm. Crews, like in there in this yeah. kind of era of them. Oh, uh, Keckner, David Keckner, he has Kechner. a weird name, so yeah, yeah the, 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 uh, so that 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 oh, one. Um, the only other thing I will say is this is this is produced by Leonard Stern, mm-hmm. and there is an uh, allegedly an uncredited rewrite mm-hmm. by Steve Carell himself. As well as yes. Bj Bj Novak. Yes, I, I did. Uh, I did hear about that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Corral was very involved. Corral really did want the movie to succeed. Because yeah. he he felt like he was a good role for him. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's uh, get into this movie. Yeah. Uh, get smart.
2: Who are you? My name is Nudnik Spilkes. Who are you? I am Siegfried. Did you say, Siegfried? (laughs) Yes. I
0: understand that you're the man to see if someone is
2: interested in acquiring items of a nuclear nature. How do I know you're not controlled? If I were controlled, you'd already
0: be dead. If you were controlled, you'd already be dead. Well, neither of us is dead, so I'm obviously not from control.
1: That actually makes sense. Okay, and we're back. So when we when we hopped into this movie, I had seen it already, obviously. Yeah. And my story about it was: this is the most niche movie I've ever looked forward to because when they were making this movie, I was the only one I knew who even knew anything about the property, and I was excited about it. Like I, I really like because I love the show Steve Carell as. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's almost dumb how ob- how easy of a casting it is. Because remember, it, it's kind of like, remember when Benedict Cumberbatch was Doctor Strange and people were kind of annoyed because it's like well, it's perfect casting and it's, like, kind of too perfect to, yeah. like, it's boring. Steve Carell's Maxwell Smart, it's almost kind of like that, but then it, it really is perfect. So I was looking forward to it um, to the point that I think I took a friend to it and I probably got way more chuckles out of it being a fan of the show. So I, I was very much, very much looking forward to it. So you had never seen it. And the yeah. one thing I had said before we go into, got into it was, like, listen – it's got all the Get Smart stuff, but it's also a 2008 Steve Carell-led comedy, so it's going to be exactly the movie you think it's going to and
0: be. And that was not wrong at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was funny because, like, my my thing about the movie is, like, really, I knew the movie existed, but, like, just the poster is, like, the thing that comes to mind the most. because mm. it's, like, you know, the Anne Hathaway and then his, it's Steve Carell, but her, her, Anne Hathaway's hair is, like, all over his face. And yes. it's, like, Get Smart. Like, yeah. that's, again, total, like, 2008 like yeah. comedy poster too. And, and to
1: be fair, and I and I will say this, and and you know, and I'm very objective uh like about the movie um because my thoughts about it hasn't really changed that much. But overall, as movies like as 2008 led Steve Carell Steve Carell led comedies that are based off an old property or go, this isn't one of the worst ones. This is, this is pretty. This this one's a it was still, decent one. <laughs> it was
0: still like it's very much like it was still like enjoyable time to watch yeah. because. I think actually very much like the um, 2015 Man from Uncle. Mm -hmm. It's a movie that is kind of saved just on the basis of its casting. Yes. And I think that, especially Carell is smart, but I think like Hathaway is 99 uh, and Alan Arkin as a chief. I think like I just think like that's where I get the most enjoyment out of the movie. And I think they mine the most out of the best of the movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas like some of the kind of the weird 2008 stuff you can kind of more easily ignore because the two core performances especially are strong enough where it carries some of those jokes. I'll do
1: you one better. I actually think one of the things that make it work more so is because there are key elements that made the show work that – the movie does stick to. Mm -hmm. And those are the aspects of it that I think, excuse me, that like make the movie way more enjoyable than it otherwise would have been. I I think that there are key choices that this movie could have made for a modern era that would have made it like just unbearable. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so I I, I think that's it. Like for instance, one of the things we talked about with the show is that, um, and I don't think they perfectly, thread thread the thread the needle as well but we talk about a little bit about that the show is kind of like a satirical world and like everybody's kind of a part of it they try to kind of have their cake and eat it to a little bit where you know max is a little bit more bumbling than everybody else they throw in some other comedy characters as well and you know it's overall a comedy but one of the key things is that they make it where all right max is competent at his job and they they Try to do this thing where he's new to the field, so he's like not quite as seasoned as like somebody like '99 is, yeah. So they play it it that way kind
0: of opposite it to the movie where it's or to the show where it's like not necessarily '99 is new, but like the whole thing is like, oh, like Max, you're the experienced agent, we're gonna put you on, yeah, with '99. Whereas in this one, it's '99 who's the more experienced agent, and then. That Steve Carell's character is like trying to be become an agent, right? Trying to, trying to get to be agent. They, they play
1: up the the slapstick a little bit, but they do actually go through the efforts to be like, yeah, but he is actually he he could be a great secret agent. Like there are there are mm-hmm. instincts that he has that are actually like very good. Yes. And um, you know, so I guess like the the way I can distill it is that the movie works when it's more like the DNA of the original Get Smart yes. show. When it's, you know, whimsical, like uh, like back and forth, like dialogue type humor, like clever, like writing humor. I think it's really good. Uh, when they get into the running gags, it's funny. When they, um, when they do some of the gadgets, uh, it, it's funny. When they lean on, you're right, when they lean on the natural charisma and comedy of the actors, uh, it's really funny. And for my money, this movie does that more often than not. Yes. I think. Because I, I found myself genuinely laughing at a right. lot of the movie. Yeah,
0: and I, I I would agree in the sense that and I think it was really was a good choice to watch that pilot first and watch an episode of the show first because it was kind of impressive to see just how much of the show. Right. Even from just watching that one episode, how much of the show they are able to sneak into The movie itself
1: yeah it's a very selfish thing and i know this shouldn't be the case and i know a lot of people roll their eyes when like this is a criteria that you kind of put on a movie but i have to admit one of the things that i did like about the movie to this day when i saw it from the first time is it really does have everything from the show in some way shape or form like they, you know, it, it's very easy to kind of get in and you're like, oh man, I, I wish they had some of the gags from the show. Like this movie has every gag, like every running gag. They have the would you believe joke. They have the shoe phone at, at a point. They have, um, what, what's like another, they have the cone of silence. They have the,
0: They do the door opening thing, but mm-hmm. kind of still put their own twist on it, which uh, is fun. They, they, they even have the, the agent in the tree or whatever. Yeah. Um,
1: Played by Bill, Bill Murray. Murray yeah. which this is another
0: one because it's also a 2008 comedy in the sense that like they will just throw in. Like, just other comedians. You're is, almost
1: like, shocked that, like, Will Ferrell isn't in it. Right. Like, at some point. Yeah, you
0: know, like, it's just, like, even, like, like just, like, of course, like, you know, all the, like, SNL people, like, Kevin Nealon and Larry Miller are, right. are, are, are in it at points. And mm-hmm. Just, like, that sort of thing. So, like,
1: I, I think, you know, that, you know, it's a very small kind of pointless thing, but I, I it did make me happy that, like, every yeah. thing from from the show, and even, like, some of the catchphrases, like, the, I, I don't know if they say it in the, um in the pilot but the missed it by that much is right, like yeah. a big is is like a uh, or like the sorry about that chief like stuff like that is in it and i don't know it just i know it's a small dumb thing to ask for but the thing is like they put it in there
0: and put it in there earnestly yes really there makes is me like happy. a reverence for those gags yeah like mm-hmm. I, I i think like yes like they like play with the door gag a little bit which i actually think is fun because mm-hmm. it's just like his paper gets like stuck in the door and they kind of you know the the ending with the with the uh, telephone little elevator. And Uh, that's fine. I mean... uh, I I think, like, you can play with those a little bit, but I think, like, sometimes, again, there's an instinct when you're doing that stuff, you mm know, where, you know, you're either going to just make fun of it wholly, Mm -hmm. of just like, oh, like, look, this whole thing that was kind of weird, or you're going to 21 Jump Street it where it's so you're going to go all in on being, like, like, so silly about, like, the concept that you're doing this movie. But I think this movie strikes actually a nice balance of, like, paying reverence Mm -hmm. to the elements of the show that are so fun and famous while also still making those elements fun. That's a
1: really good point that the movie never really makes fun of the things that it's taking from the the show. Yeah. Like there's a pay, like the shoe phone is a payoff. Yes. Like they, they eventually like use the shoe phone as like a serious phone later in the movie. Right,
0: cause, like, Cause you see it at the beginning. Cause it's like the whole thing is like control that the, the story like that the world knows is like control ended at the end of the cold war mm-hmm. a, after the defeat of like chaos. And so it's like a museum that yeah. has all the gadgets and like the cars from the movie, like the original show and stuff. Like you see the shoe phone is like one of the first things you see. A-
1: and him. they imply that he also gets like the original like suit too yeah. a, at the end. And... and then,
0: and then you find out that like, Oh, they're, they're still secretly operating like under this museum. Thing. Yeah. But then like, yeah, you're right. The shoe phone even comes into play like, at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. and like it's like kind of neat to see that stuff well you know
1: like speaking of another old show like like you know we we've gone on and on off mic about like the lone ranger movie but but i heard the perfect distillation of like why that movie doesn't work or, like, can't really find an audience is at the end of the movie, they spend this whole origin story where, the kind of origin story, we won't get too much into it, but, like, where he becomes the Lone Ranger. And at the end, they finally do the hi-ho, Silver! And they do the whole thing at the end. And then it cuts straight to, like, Johnny Depp being, like, never do that again so then you're like well then who is this for is right. it for well, the people
0: who are waiting for that or is it for like are we going to make fun of that right because that whole, that whole movie is like he doesn't want to be the lone ranger right. until that moment and then yeah so, so it's com- like but then completely completely
1: right. when you right but when you watch this it's like oh no like all those gags that you love are going to be played straight in the like at least for a modern context in this and the closest one they kind of make fun of is the agent in a tree like that's yeah. the one that they kind of like we're and it's bill murray so you get away with it where he's like Okay, I get it, yeah. Nobody wants to talk to the guy in a tree. <laughs> but I, but I think like that's,
0: like, you know, it's not too far off. Right. Like, it's still, like, a, like a reference to the show and, like... Like, uh, the cone of
1: silence is treated exactly how it is, like, in the show. Right, just modernized. Yeah. Or,
0: like, instead of being, like, a plastic bubble, it's, like, kind of, like, an like a, like a energy field. Right, right, yeah. But it still kind of works mm. because it's just an update of the gag visually, but it's the same gag right and they play with that new thing too so
1: so yeah so so all that all that stuff like i i i really i really enjoyed and and it was and it was super funny like like some of the stuff like when it like and then you know, there's also like clever wordplay, like you know they're looking for yellow cake uranium, and then they're in like the place, and then there's like it's like Max, it's like, it's like no, a ba- he's like it's a bakery. ninety it's nine, it's like I see the yellow cake, it's like no, it's like Max, yes, we're in a bakery, he's like no, the yellow cake uranium, and then he looks over at the and he's like, but I also do see yellow cake, and it's like somebody's birthday,
0: yes, <laughs> you know, it's like, like all the people that making the bombs like celebrating a yeah. birthday, like that, that's exact, that was one of the best gags in the movie, yeah,
1: and you and you also know it's funny like what separates like this type of a spy parody from and that's something why like something like the nude bomb kind of seems a little bit off um brand for get smart because for the most part get smart the plans and the supervillain plans were actual supervillain plans like it was all played with a veil of like comedy right but for the most part it's like yes we're gonna blow up the statue of liberty or we're gonna like steal this duchess for a ransom so like it's not like austin powers where it's like i'm gonna get into like a penis shape like uh right, like yeah. a thing and freeze the world right like you'll like, have like
0: the big like you know like in the pilot episode we watch like it has like the big like and the heat ray and they're gonna destroy the statue of yeah. liberty but it's still like you know that's not too far off from something like a blowfeld would do right uh to an extent
1: and then this one is like um siegfried played by terrence stamp right
0: who's also we didn't mention is like a recurring villain in the show itself
1: the actor who plays the original siegfried makes a cameo in this movie as one of the cars that max tries to stop like the older guy he's like what are you doing in the middle and then he gets hit by the car that's like the original siegfried um so yeah so they so they do that and like you know his whole plan is like you know control or chaos wants you know it's a ransom plot like they they want like like this many like billion dollars whatever and then like and then they're like oh you have to meet our demands and then the plot is like they're going to set off a bomb um, in Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, which the also joke- had a funny joke that I did like was when he's like he's like oh it's like it feels bad about all the movie stars and Darren Stamp in his very Darren Stamp way is like yes what will we do without their sharp political commentary <laughs> and I was like that one I liked <laughs> yeah. I like that joke <laughs> yeah um so yeah that and that so that was it's funny.
0: like again like the that's like kind of the villain plot and then basically it's like you know the whole kind of plot with the characters is that. Maxwell Smart is, like, an analyst and, like, the best analyst. Mm -hmm. Like, he's, like, so overly detailed and everything. And he wants to be a field agent. Like, he idolizes The Rock, who's, like, the Agent 23, like, the best field agent. And so, essentially, like, someone attacks Control and all the agents have been compromised, except for 99, who had just had her face changed, Mm -hmm. and Maxwell Smart because he's not an agent. Right. So, basically, they're the only two left that can investigate, like, who, like, you know, who blew up control mm-hmm. and like what the larger plan is right so they they're sent off to russia to like you know figure all the shit out
1: yeah the, the thing i will say about the movie is like the plot of the movie is one i you, you kind of accept like it, it really it hits, is the obvious it's an obvious plot
0: it's everything about it is exactly what you would expect a 2008 yeah version of this movie to have and and
1: and by obvious i don't mean a predictable plot even though some of it is it's just like the choices are kind of like i hate to say it but like the uninspired version like Okay, like we're gonna make it an origin story and he's an analyst who wants to become a you know, thing and you know, even though we know that him and ninety nine are gonna get together at the end, we're gonna make her the competent one and he's like the idiot and you know, and then they're gonna get so like a lot of and, like and, the and choices. It's like, you know, to... like
0: obviously like he likes her mm-hmm. and like she like is like like stop being like yeah stop being an idiot like i'm better than you but then they kind of have the charm but then like oh they have a falling out and then like you know yeah this is something
1: i I did especially after watching the pilot is that i did miss and and obviously there is a criticism to be laid this isn't the first movie to do this but there is a criticism to be laid where they kind of do the thing where it's well-meaning where it's like you know, she comes in and she's like super competent and objectively better than him. And, um, you know, and the whole thing is like by the end, he's hopefully is going to like, you know, either mature, or, like show his or prove himself. You know, prove himself. You know, there is a criticism to be laid is that that kind of can lean into, you know, the problem with something like that is that the audience, unless like you're going straight Michael Scott from The Office. Yeah. Uh, where I think the the beauty of that show is like the show clearly n- lets you know that he's an idiot, and you like him just because he's the lead of the show. You're like they kind of uh, always play it where like you know you can be malleable about how much you like Michael Scott at any point. But like when you like watch something like Max, like you love Max, yeah. and you know that he's gonna be the hero at the end of the day, and you you want to see him succeed. So you kind of in in a way shoot yourself in the foot because then you're your Anne Hathaway character can just come off as shrill uh, because you're like, well, you, you feel like, you know, she kind of comes off as annoying because you know, this is, this guy is good. Yeah. Like you just know that's how it's going to play out. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I don't necessarily always subscribe to that because I think that usually the movie, that's more of an unfortunate, uh, uh, result where the movie is like leaning into like, okay, he's just being silly. And like, she is actually like competent. um, but I will say when I watched it to this day, what made it much more of an easier pill to swallow is maybe it's because I'm like a big get smart fan. So I know like, oh, these two are gonna get married. So I kind of, you kind of look at it as like, oh, this is like a like a like they're kind of like having these marriage quarrels like already already. yeah, so you know, I get if that wouldn't work for everybody, but when I first saw the movie, It didn't bother me as much because I know, like, oh, all this is going to end with, like, them getting together.
0: I think, for me, what makes it work is the fact that they do – yes, like, Max does have his bumbling moments on that mission. But they do set him up as, again, like, someone who is competent. Yeah. Because they have – again, like, his analyst stuff is like, yes, he is overly detailed. But he is such detail that, like, he knows everything about everything. And – even when they have this, like, kind of training mission early on, it's not like he's, like, he can't use a gun or something like that. Like, he's, he's they do that like, kind of paintball training mission with, you know, where he's, like, teaming up with The Rock. And, mm-hmm. like, he still gets some moments in there where it's, like, you can tell that it's, like, oh, like, he'll have his moments of being competent. Right. And I think, like, that kind of saves where it's, like, I think there are other versions of it where it's, like, you'd be completely bumbling and then like, kind of fall into right. the 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 competency. Yeah, um, I, I, I and I, and I think it's just one of those things where, again, I just think it's just based the the basis off of it being Corral and Hathaway. I think kind of makes it work in that sense. So that, mm-hmm. that I feel like, I, I feel like, I under I I definitely kind of agree with that. Where it's like, yes, it's like kind of the very like. She's, like, super serious and super competent, and then, like, you know... Just, like, she's an
1: asshole to him, and, right. like, things. Yeah. Like, the
0: first time they actually meet, like, she, you know, it's like he doesn't even know she's an agent. Like, she, he runs into her when he's, like, looking at a dog he wants to buy, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he didn't... Fang, buy-
1: who is the, the name of the dog from the show. This yeah. is great. Uh,
0: because, like, he didn't get the promotion to agent because he's so useful as an analyst. Yeah. type of thing. And there is that kind of element, and it's, again, very... That 2008... Like 2000s model, Mm -hmm. I think, especially of that type of relationship. Sure. But I just think, like, once they actually get on the mission and, like, you know, Corel kind of even showcases it's like, you know, they go to like a uh, a restaurant where he knows that these people meet and, Mm -hmm. and, like, she's kind of impressed by that. And even, like, later when they're, when they're, like, sneaking in, it's like, there's, they just give them enough where it's like, it's not like that for too long, I think. That there's, like, there's elements of it that kind of pop up throughout, but they still kind of give Carell enough of those moments and Maxwell smart enough in those moments to be like, you see the relationship like going on. Yeah.
1: I, I see what you mean. I, I think if I were to have my way, I would have preferred. And I mean, yes, at I've, the most, I would have preferred it to be a little bit more like the show where, oh, oh, At least she's like, maybe more of like, like an approachable, like, you know, kind of like dorkish character. Um, but I'm, it's not even that, you know what, you know what my biggest thing is, Anne Hathaway's fine in the movie. Yeah. She's also doing that thing where she's really not playing a character. She's just, like, acting. Mm. She's acting. Yeah. But she's really not. She's just kind of playing, like, I'm Anne Hathaway in, like, an action comedy. Like, no. the thing is, like, for the most part, she's the only one who's, like, I'm a serious adult in this, like, comedy. And that who lightens up. Whereas, like... You know, The Rock, even though you have the twist where he is the villain at the end of the day, like even like he's played as like he likes Max, like the Terry Crews and the David Koechner characters are like kind of like, you know, the the two kind of like comedic bul- side relief. The bullies. Yeah. yeah. And then like Alan Arkin, who I actually think is another underrated element of this movie. Yes, I would agree. Even he is like given like kind of like this silly kind of grandpa vibe, like yeah. who who is into the comedy. And I think that...
0: Exactly the type of role you want Alan Arkin to play. Exactly.
1: Exactly, and my only kind of like nitpick is like I like I would have, I think benefited the movie to put also Anne Hathaway, in. and and I think that's kind of what could lead to the criticism of her coming off as like a, yeah. a, a like a little shrill, is because like she's the only one in this comedy who's like not really playing along, yeah, and so and her it's kind of tough because yeah. it, it can be tedious for is her arc to like finally be a part of the comedy <laughs>
0: well, I mean I would agree I mean it's like even though I had praise some praise for it I would 100% yeah. she's agree. good in the movie and I think it's again it's just one of those things where I think she does enough with what the material you know sure. gives her yeah. because it's also like yes it's like her being kind of Anne Hathaway but that's what the character is in this movie right like, yeah. it's exactly what that character is is like she yeah. is like more of that James Bond style. again like, I, she's really good I'm at,
1: okay uh, with it you know it's not it w- it wasn't my preferred way yeah. to, to play it but you know she she shows off her chops to be in a movie like this enough I think but yeah but going back to Alan Arkin I thought like he was another one who and it's not an exact like direct parallel to the chief from the, um, Show, it, yeah. but it, it's a good, that was a good, uh, adaptation of like how to play the chief in right. this one yeah. where yeah. he's like, cause they kind of like make it seem like he, he was like, he's been the chief of like control since like, you know, it's in settler, like in the early days of control. And now he's kind of like, uh, you know, the control is kind of like the laughing stock of like the rest of like the government. And he's always getting in fights with the vice president and, um, He's great in this movie. I I, know he's got a lot of like little games. I love
0: Alan Larkin in these type of roles because I know we always talk about this movie too, but he's also great in that sense in The Rocketeer when he's playing like, uh, yes, yeah, when Mm -hmm. he's playing like the kind of like mentor to, to, to Bill Campbell's Rocketeer character. But I like him as that type of character, and again you get to kind of involve him in that third act and he, gets, mm-hmm. he kind of gets those kind of crazy action moments. Yeah.
1: Started. Yeah. I love it. He gets a great payoff where he decks the guy at the end who was make who's like calling him grandpa and everything. Yeah, and like he's like, and he like is. knocks him out and he's like, speak up. I'm an old man. You know, it's, it's, it's like, I, I thought that was as like, cause I love the chief and like the, in the, the original show. And I thought that the Alan Arkin care, how they did it in the movie was, uh, was really good. Um, so yeah. What were you going to say something?
0: Well, I mean like it was funny because it I, I mean I guess the one thing I was going to say from there is this is talk about the rest of the cast is like the the stuff with the rocks character is it does get kind it kind of just jumps from he's kind of max's buddy to right like, he's the villain and it's especially a, especially like a 2000 like a 2000s movie thing where because the whole beginning of the movie is like he's like he's, like, the coolest, most charming guy. He, like, comes in. Everybody gives him a standing ovation. Well, and the the
1: reason you really like him earlier in the movie is because he likes Max. And, like, everything is about, like, I should be out there with Max. And, like, we should trust Max. And and it's,
0: like, one of those things where it's, like, this kind of a cool, like, kind of, like thing for the rock and it's like you know and it's like it is, there is kind of a funny thing where he's like struggling with like office life mm-hmm. where like you know he like yells he like
1: staples the, somebody like somebody's head on a like paper because,
0: because they didn't uh you know unjam, a, the copier. Un- unjam the copier and yeah. stuff and he's just going crazy in that sense but then it's like the whole because they, again it's like very much the beats you would expect of this movie in 2008 where it's like they kind of have this whole thing where oh like the the they they like blow up this bakery that like Max discovered like where all these bombs were being made mm-hmm. and then up like the rock gets there and there's no bombs and then the immediate like well Max has to be a double agent and then, well the
1: the problem with it is that then he just becomes an asshole well, for the, the rest thing. of there's the movie. There's no transition. Yeah.
0: There's no transition from him being like the cool guy with Max that everybody loves and like the rest of the movie he's like clearly like okay well now he's the, like they just becomes a point where it's like oh he's the double agent because like he he <coughs> has to be. There's no transition to the, the, the it's two different characters for, for me
1: it was obvious even before i went to go see this movie that he was probably going to either he there were two things that were going to happen with him he was either going to die or he was going to be a villain and the reason i knew that is because that's not a character in the tv show right yeah. <laughs> that was like the only reason i knew that it was going to be one of those I two mean, it's things
0: kind of obvious like it's kind of like an obvious play but it was like just from the again the way the character is portrayed it's just like there's just it yeah. really is like He's, like, cool, and then he's just an asshole. Yeah. And, you know, I think the... But, again, it's just, like, it's exactly all the beats you would expect from this movie being made in 2008. Yeah. Especially also because they never... He never explains, like, why he's a double agent or if he's always... Like, he's just, like, I'm the bad guy now, mm-hmm. and there's no reason... You didn't
1: to- expect that, because I'm the rock. Right. Like, yeah, well, it's it, like, it, you're right. Like,
0: it's just, like, there's, there's never an explanation of, like... Was he always a double agent? Like, mm-hmm. or was, did he like become a double agent because he can't stand office life? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. or, or, or something like that? Or just, you know, it's like all this sort of weird shit going on with it. Um, other element that makes this very 2008 is this kind of weird runner about fat people.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, like, there's a, like, I, I said this is a movie where 2008 just shows its ugly, like, head. And I only mean that because it's like, I, there's really, it, it's just like, these it's just like dumb jokes that just fall flat. Yeah. like it's just like kind of like well, yeah. It's
0: like a weird thing because again, it's like it's just it's definitely that weird like mid two thousands comedy thing. Yeah, that we've kind of talked about a little bit off air where it's like the whole it's like a fat joke because the whole thing was like oh Max is we used to be fat yeah and he he
1: used to be like really overweight and in like the whole thing they're trying to make it a shorthand it's a really lazy shorthand but it's a shorthand that like shows like this is how dedicated he was to it which to be fair if you're going to seriously use that as a plot point that's fine but, you know, it, it, it is also kind of this running gag that they also don't
0: they they commit to and don't
1: commit to. Well the
0: whole the, the whole thing about it's like obviously when they first show the training session, it's yeah. like there's a flashback where it's like he was like really fat and so it's like he's in like you know, it's like a like huge overweight fat suit. He's yeah. like, you know, you know, bumbling through an obstacle course and stuff like that yeah well it, it's
1: it's 2000 it's 2000s slapstick it, it, it's like but then, it's the same thing with like people like they get hit by buses like there's like jokes like that in this where the guy's like in the middle of the road and then a bus like yeah. does like a chroma keyed like like hit the guy like you know on a matte painting so it's like it's a lot of like but dumb the, things I, like I always that found
0: the weird thing about this fat thing was like Obviously, like, when you see him, like, it's like, oh, it's supposed to be funny because he was fat. Right. And then later in the movie, he, like, has this dance with a very large woman. But he's, like, the whole point is, like, (laughs) but the, the, the whole point is, like, no, like big people should be treated as equally. Right. Like we we should we we should respect. It's it's like, like that weird two thousands comedy thing where it's like we're gonna show respect to fat people, while also you're gonna laugh because it's a fat person. Like there's like two right. sides of that coin, and I, right, it's so well, weird.
1: Cause, well, because one is like they want to they like haha, like it's is it's funny. It's kind of like that SNL thing. You're in a he's in a fat suit. And then he's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just dumb. like I, 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 But again, yeah, it, just, it's it, it so
0: puts that movie yeah, it, into yes, 2008. Right. It like, does. Those elements continually, like...
1: It does. There's a couple, like, really dated ones. There's that. There's, like, okay, we get it. Like, people didn't like Bush as president at the time. There's, like, very, like, clear... Very, very like yes. There's, like, very
0: Very non-hidden... Uh, yeah bush criticism
1: yeah uh in there uh played by james conn who is actually in the movie because he was a a, believe a friend with of don adams and had a uh a a role in an episode of get smart as a villain yes um so uh yeah so i i mean it's hard because it's like that's really all i have to say about it's just a dumb joke yeah yeah. (laughs) it's just dumb and it's like even and, and, and and it strikes even when i saw the movie like it really just stuck out to me as like like this was kind of like the added dumb thing that they right. put in the movie right. because I mean, somebody this, thought it would be funny. This
0: is, I mean, it's, the, and it's unnecessary. Right. Like you don't, I mean, need like it. when it's like the guy who did like stuff like 50 for its dates right. and, and the, the Adam Sandler longest yard, like mm-hmm. this is just par for the course of right. like, what was in those films. And like, sometimes some of the original type of stuff is funny because mm-hmm. it's just, just like any kind of decently done comedy It's just, you're going to throw stuff, see what sticks. Right. Like, the whole thing where, like, the plane that Ellen Arkin's flying is, like, has, like, an anti-suicide hotline thing yes. on it, but, like, it's it's Steve Carell, like, hanging right. off of it. But and, what's, and-
1: you know what's funny, though? It's about, like, the Anne Hathaway is, like, older than she actually is, and then, like, the whole payoff to that joke, she's like, I'm just a woman with a dusty old uterus. <laughs> and then she's like, I didn't say dusty. <laughs> and, like, to me, like, that was way funnier yeah. than any of, like, the, and maybe that's because it was, like It involved like clever wordplay, and it was more of like they had to talk about it. Whereas it just felt like the other one was just like, He
0: used to be fat. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, all right. Again, like it's like, it's funny when you look back on that. It's just so fascinating that that was like.
1: It's just fascinating that that's the joke. That's the joke. There's no like punchline, there's no like. But again, like
0: they do this whole joke, and then his whole mantra is like, Big people have feelings too.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, that element. kind of comes and goes too. like, I, I thought that was like a nice little thing. Yes. And they, they, they play up on it. Cause he, that's how he makes friends with like the henchmen yeah. at, at the end of the day. But I thought that like the whole, like, you know, Max being one of the other things that kept him from everybody else is like, Oh, like, you know, the bad, like his phrase, he's like, he's like, yes, they're bad guys, but that's just what they do. Not who they are. And yeah. I, and I thought like they could have played that up a little bit
0: more too, because um, it's like, even like that is like, you know, they're having a big fight with the henchmen and then, yeah. uh with with uh, the great kali yeah. dolub singh which is i would say just real quick real hard flashback to like that was like my my highest era of like wrestling fandom mm-hmm. of just like i got into like 2006 and like obviously like great Collie like dolub singh was like that was when he was like messing up matches all over the place in <laughs> WWE so it was like kind of fun to see like okay yes that era of just like we're going to put the wrestler in the movie now Um, but their whole thing is like, you know, they're having this big fight on top of the bakery while it's like blowing up. And Mm -hmm. then like, it's like Steve Crow gives dollop some advice about his marriage Mm -hmm. and they hug out. Yeah. That That was nice. That was
1: nice. I was just thinking because that around that scene also reminded me of another 2008 joke where he's like, "Oh, it looks like you know those two guys are having sex with each other."
0: Oh (laughs) yes, another one. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. That
1: that 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 one was like was a was another one. At least
0: at least the guy who was looking in was like, "Ooh," and then they there was a little
1: bit of a like a little bit of a beat to that one that made that funny. And then it gets
0: pulled off. It's like let them have their private moment. Yeah.
1: Couple little Easter eggs I wanted to mention that I thought were fun for uh, fans of the show. Um, at the beginning, uh, you see um, as Max is doing his morning routine, getting ready, there's like close ups of all these things in his house, and you see little callbacks to like still at large, Mr. Big. And then it's like the picture of uh, the actor who played Mr. Big in the pilot episode. Which uh, we saw, yeah. There's a. Um, there, there's like a post-it note that says like "Who is the Claw?" Like things like that. So yeah. I thought that was really funny. Um, and then obviously one of the bigger uh, kind of Easter eggs at the end of the movie is the is the uh, android Jaime, who in the sh- in the, in the show is. Is, is a robot he, he's, yeah. a, he's a robot who looks like a man and he's like is like a works for chaos i'm uh, sorry uh control and uh they talk about it earlier in the thing as kind of like a throwaway gag like it's like we're making you think that's where it's gonna end for maybe like the fans it's like oh jaime yeah because jaime was a robot and then at the end of the movie jaime shows up played by none other than patrick warburton who i couldn't think of a perfect more yeah. perfect like gag is to have him come as a because um, that's always the gag like, you know, you try to hit Jaime and then like, you know, you, you know, he he's like made out of metal and um, he can like lift people up really easily. And he's kind of a dumb robot. And so uh, for the fans out there like me, we're very happy to see those little Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I guess last things. I mean, because, again, it's just like it was a fun time to watch. I will say that we had a good time. I. I, I here's the thing. I, I, I like it in terms of
1: it's it's a funny movie. Like, yeah. I, I thought it was it, funny. It's
0: definitely, again, in that 2008 where there's going to be a lot of dumb dated stuff from yeah. just the era it's in. But there's enough of the comedy, especially from Carell, mm-hmm. um, that that works and makes it like just like kind of an enjoyable watch. Wait,
1: I, I feel like we really didn't – I know I mentioned this, but I do need to just talk about this. He really is perfect yes. as this role. Like, it's just – when you really think about what all of Steve Carell's strengths are, and you look at like how Don Adams played the role, it's like nobody yeah. else could have done it. No, like and no. the reason I was saying like because Jim Carrey would have done it's silly all the time.
0: Right. Well, but, but I think that would have been the movie would have been tailored to that. Yeah. If that had happened, which was the whole point. There was mm. just like it was just a name property that they could put on to Carrey, And it was one of the, kind of the same thing. It was like a name property that they could give Steve Carell. means to do something with it's just it happens to be like steve carell is so much more perfect for for the role right no he nails the tone like even the small moments i think where like the whole thing where they're in they're sneaking into like this russian's house to like get on his computer to find out like where he sold bombs to Mm -hmm. and he has this moment where like there's like a beaded chain uh, oh yeah and then all the beads fall down (laughs) all the beads fall down but then later like a guard like when they're like running away Mm -hmm. person slips away from it like slips on him and he's just like I meant to do that. Like mm-hmm. you could just see Don Adams like doing that sort of thing where if he like looked at that, he's like, I meant to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it's it, so, I um, mean,
1: I, I can't speak enough about how perfect he is in the role.
0: And yeah, so that I, I like that whole uh, like Russian house sequence. I was going to mention yeah. that where it's like even like the stuff with the, the lasers. um just like again, Carell being competent and like actually like mimicking like her, uh, Anne Hathaway's like flips, oh, yeah, flips, and, flips <laughs> and stuff. But then like the rat gets in yeah. there and he just like kind of gets really beaten up. That's by good them. slapstick. That, I, that's I great. Like that. That's good slapstick. And the whole you know, the stuff like with the computer was like really fun. Um, yeah,
1: as a Get Smart fan, I, I enjoy it. I, I really, I, I do have a fun time with and, it.
0: And of course, Steve Carell kisses the rock. Yes. <laughs> that's like a thing that most people know about this movie <laughs> is that Steve Carell and The Rock kiss you know what
1: makes that joke though is like because it's like slow motion and then you just hear The Rock go like
0: mm, mm-mm, mm-mm.
1: like that, that's what makes that right. joke funnier and it's, than it should it's be it's a payoff from the beginning yeah. of the mm-hmm. movie so that, even though
0: again it also does the weird 2008 thing where it's like oh like Agent 9 like <laughs> Maxwell's like Steve Crows is like Oh, like you just kiss all the men you meet yeah like again
1: the reason i didn't mind it at the time even though it is deserving of the criticism is because i'm looking through it at the lens of like these two are husband and future husband yeah, and wife yeah. so you kind of like accept it's just, again, it that way it's,
0: again just like just again it's just the the funniness of the get smart stuff and 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 the dedication to that yeah like mixed in with the the very 2008 stuff yeah
1: yeah um, all right, I got a hard out soon. So, um, what else do we need to so say? So quick, who is Harrison Ford? Uh, Harrison Ford, uh, in, which would be really funny. Something he did not—he didn't start doing until the until recently. He would have been the leader of chaos yes. that Siegfried is talking to over the phone. Mm-hmm. That's who I think he would have been. I would agree.
0: All right, so the movie comes out in two thousand and eight and uh, mixed reviews, 50-50, essentially. Yeah, that, that makes I mean, sense. Roger Ebert liked the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically like, most people who liked it was like, this is a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. And most people who didn't like it was like, oh, all right. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like most, no. It was like, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, but very...
1: <laughs> it would definitely not be a comedy I would, like, go to bat for. But no, no. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, um, it, it's fine.
0: But uh, it was successful at the box office with a uh, total gross worldwide of $230 million, which is pretty good for a comedy mm-hmm. of that era. Uh and there was a development of a sequel um in the work. Yes, I yeah. So I mean. um there was a script. Steve Carell didn't like it. He rewrote the script himself. Mm-hmm. Peter Siegel liked that script, so there was kind of development on it, but it was a combination of Anne Hathaway was now it was like her getting to the point where she was gonna be in the Dark Knight Rises right. and, mm-hmm. and like Lay Miz and stuff. Her career was on the rise. And really, the what kind of killed the movie most is this movie was a Warner Brothers production. Uh, Alan Horn was a big champion of the movie. Yes, got it, got through. And then right around this time, he left for Disney to uh, achieve his dream of remaking every Disney animated movie ever made. <laughs> uh, so uh, basically, like even like. Peter Siegel was asked in 2000, uh, 2019, and he was just like, "Yeah, it's definitely not time for a sequel at right. this point. Yeah. Like, it's just it's way past." That it, point.
1: It, it is to the point where it's like, I would listen. I would love to see this this come back up again. Um, and I I think I'm thinking like Netflix series, something you could, like oh, that.
0: A definite, this could definitely be like a streaming service deal. Mm. I, I definitely think this would definitely. Work. You know what's funny
1: is that Steve Carell could still do it, right? Like he he would still be great at it. Yeah. Like even. Even to this, even to this day, I mean, you would need to get like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like maybe like one of the SNL, like, like, um, you know, a, like alums that yeah. are that are like, there's
0: plenty of them. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking like that. Except not not Kristen Wigg. Kristen Wiig's, like the obvious one. Yeah. she could do it as 99. But yeah. like, um, that that would be that'd be fun. Um, but uh,
0: yeah. So so and it's just a point where you know it's still the the people. Uh, you know, just remember this movie exists. But the more the (laughs) the more legacy of Get Smart is the original show. Yeah. Or I think it's like because just real quick, you know, obviously like Mission Impossible has kind of eclipsed its original show. Yes. That, That Mission Impossible the film franchise is is much more of a bigger deal than the show was. Whereas I think Get Smart and to an extent, man, from Uncle, man, from Uncle, kind of lands in the middle where it's like it's memorable, but it doesn't have kind of the cult following no there's or, really not an audience it, for it right yeah. so it's like you kind of see like the three things which like we have the big film franchise and mission impossible we kind of have the in between which is like the man from uncle where it's like it was a successful series and the movie is kind of has a cult thing right, right. now but like nothing where like get smart is like big cult it's following. me right. <laughs> so get smart still does have a following yes. a mm-hmm. series and 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 especially as an early career mel brooks thing yeah um and the the movie is just kind of the movie
1: Yeah, it's really hard to, like, I know this is the obvious thing, but then it's just, like, how would you do Get Smart? And it's really easy just to say the Lord and Miller way. Yeah. Like, it just really is easy, because it's, like, because you're right, because if you look at it, they're, like, the only ones who finally made a movie that you kind of, that is really fully, like, kind of this movie, like, this 2008 version, but without the 2008 stuff. Yeah. It's, like... It's really easy just to kind of like land back on that that one. 21
0: Jump Street really like changed the game on these like old TV adaptations because we had a lot of the like the 2000s like was full of those like the Charlie's Angels and Josie and the Pussycats and and the all that sort of stuff like there was a big kind of attempt and and I think like 21 Jump Street really shifted what people can think about those types of shows and and adapting them where it's like over they are going to do the crazy thing about them. (laughs) Well, Nick, uh, we we
1: did it the, again—the old we sit down and watch a movie and sit down in front of microphones and record an episode talking about it trick.
0: That's a running gag. We, <laughs> that's a running gag. We didn't talk about. Yeah. I had to get it in there. The, the old—that's another running gag yeah. of the show, and it's in the
1: movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so uh, yeah. So uh, uh, that's it. Um, Chuck Norris with a BB gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that dates it back to 2008 is that they were joking about Chuck Norris. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's good. Anything else?
0: Yeah. So um, whenever we get back on the mic for another bond episode, mm-hmm. it's going to, we're going to take a look at the other side of spy film, which is a m- the more serious spy work, the more grounded in the actual cold war mm-hmm. spy work. So we're going to take a look at uh, in another early sixties uh, movie, uh, spy movie, uh, the spy who came in from the cold
1: cool sounds good sounds cold yeah um until then next time is going to be a godzilla episode not a bond episode in which we will continue a Anne hathaway streak yes because september is Anne Hathaway month. yeah it's bon september is the month of hathaway and uh, we are going to be looking at the kaiju drama film uh colossal
0: i am looking forward to it i yeah. actually have not seen this yeah, one i'm, so. I'm
1: the, the, the this uh, i think this uh this month is filled with movies that um, I will enjoy talking about. do yes. so.
0: uh, You think we can get Anne Hathaway?
1: On, on the podcast? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> what's Absolutely she, what's not. She
0: do, what's she doing right now? I don't
1: know. What was the last thing she was – see, now it's funny because now she's being in movies where she's being silly yeah. again. Like she's being in like well, movies with Rebel Wilson and she's being in Oceans, like yeah. like whatever the last Oceans right. movie was where she was like being like a big character. and. Yeah. You know, it's funny. She, she had to get it out of the way. She what? had to get her being serious out of the way. She just had her kid.
0: Yeah. I think she's back in the movies yeah. now.
1: Yeah. Right now? Well, she had a kid, so where's she going? Just get a, hop, on, hop on Zoom.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. What, are you, what doing, are you doing, Ann? What's
1: she doing? Get on the podcast, Ann. Um, all right, so that's it. We're done. I'm done. You're done. And just plug away.
0: Bonsolapod at gmail.com. Um, If I don't know if we've ever gotten any emails on that thing, but um, you still can. Uh, we can find us at twitter.com slash bonzilla double seven facebook.com slash bonzilla double seven like and subscribe on itunes and soundcloud and share with your friends now that we've we've got an endpoint, they they have a whole series to listen to yep alright peace bye everybody alright that's it get out of here